ECO Report is a weekly public affairs program providing independent media coverage of environmental and ecological studies with a focus on local, state, and regional people, issues, and events in order to foster open discussion of human relationships with nature and the earth and to encourage you to take personal responsibility for living sustainably in the world. EcoReport is produced by an independent team of volunteers working at the studios of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana and financially supported by listeners like you. Hello and welcome to EcoReport. For WFHB, I'm Juliana Daly. And I'm Cynthia Roberts. Coming up later in today's feature report, Enrique Sands with the Indiana Environmental Reporter will discuss the Indiana legal effort to reduce the types of waterways that fall under federal protection. And now for your environmental reports. Every year there's a great opportunity to see thousands of snow geese and sandhill cranes at Goose Pond, located on the south side of Linton. This year's event was held February 24th and 25th. The bird numbers were down from two weeks ago when there were many thousands of snow geese and sandhill cranes. There was a large group of snow geese visible at a distance across Highway 59 from the visitor center. There were 50 or so white pelicans. Also east of 59, there were maybe 30 tundra swans. Sandhills were estimated at about 1,500. Many groups of sandhills were flying north during the day, and there was also a large gathering in Bee Hunter Marsh. That group had a single whooping crane accompanying it, although the whooper was pretty elusive. Still, a number of the visitors managed to get decent, albeit brief, views. Good numbers of ducks of a variety of species and several raptors, including flyover bald eagles that spooked the waterfall and waterfowl into flight. The state of Indiana is now part of a legal effort to reduce the types of waterways that fall under federal protection instead of often more lenient state regulations. Indiana Attorney General Todd Rokita signed up Indiana to be part of a lawsuit brought by the Republican Attorneys General of 24 states seeking to repeal the Biden administration's definition of waters of the United States, known as WOTUS, a rule that defines the limit of the federal government's reach into pollution regulation. Nearly 25,000 miles of state waterways have recreational use impairments due to excess bacteria and nutrients derived from farming practices. The pollution is from animal feces and fertilizers from concentrated animal feeding operations and other farming sources that are mostly unregulated and are allowed to enter waterways due to a loophole in Clean Water Act that exempts agricultural runoff from regulation. In the last days of the Trump administration, Indiana state senators directly involved in the home building industry used the narrowed Trump WOTUS definition to introduce a bill removing protections for half of the state's remaining wetlands and weakening protections that remained. The Indiana Farm Bureau and other farming groups backed the bill, citing an end to regulatory uncertainty despite agriculture being statutorily exempt from most regulations. The bill was signed into law in 2021. For the last 15 years, Indiana has said the state values wetlands, 
but essentially all the actions have demonstrated a willingness to only exploit them. The state does not see that having 25,000 miles of polluted waterways exposes the hypo hypocrisy in stated values. Indiana values exploitation no matter the negative environmental effects. The Indiana environmental reporter has some good news regarding coal ash pits. Since the state has done almost nothing to force cleanup, the feds may step in. The Environmental Protection Agency plans to possibly close a loophole in pollution regulations could have huge benefits for the state in the fight against toxic coal ash. Currently, based on the 2015 federal coal ash rule, a loophole exempts billions of tons of coal ash in landfills from federal oversight. The EPA published its intent to consider closing the loophole as part of a proposed settlement between the agency and public interest groups, including the Indiana State Conference and LaPorte County branch of the NAACP and the Hoosier Environmental Council, which sued the agency in August 2022. Earth Justice represented the plaintiffs in the case and found there are 297 unregulated landfills in 38 states, including Indiana. It said the amount of unregulated coal ash could fill freight train cars that could stretch around the world twice. According to Earth Justice, Indiana has 21 known unregulated landfills. The Gallagher plant in New Albany contains the most, with 11 landfills. In Gallagher, the plant sits on the Ohio River in an area prone to flooding. Quote, we are glad to see the EPA take the first step to close a loophole that effectively permitted coal plants to evade cleaning up their toxic coal ash, end quote, said Michal Ozeta, the plaintiff's attorney from Earth Justice. As coal plants continue to close, it is critical that operators address decades of toxic waste left in unlined pits and prevent contamination. Coal ash is the toxic substance that is left over after burning coal for electricity. The EPA has noted that exposure to coal ash is linked to neurological and psychiatric effects, damage to blood vessels, many types of cancer, and cardiovascular effects. Before 2015, there were no federal rules to regulate where utilities were allowed to put coal ash or how it was stored. The agency excluded coal ash in landfills where utilities had stopped producing power and waste piles that hadn't been receiving ash before the law went into effect. These exempted landfills are disproportionately located in communities of color and low-income communities. WTIU reports that Indiana could lose the authority to control its air pollution if the state doesn't increase fees for companies that pollute. Senate Bill 155 aims to keep that authority in the hands of the Indiana Department of Environmental Management. The good news is air pollution in Indiana and around the country has gone down in the past few decades. The bad news is the fees that companies pay to pollute are what keeps the state's air permitting program running. With less pollution, it's struggling to stay afloat. Quote, the federal government could take over our permit program if we don't address the, this sooner rather than later, end quote, said IDEM's legislative director, Drake Abramson. The Environmental Protection Agency sent a letter to IDEM warning the agency that their revenue was too low to support the air program. It said, 
if IDEM doesn't increase its fees, the program could face a multi-million dollar deficit by fiscal year 2024. Indiana did raise its air permit fees by 27% in 2019, the first time it was able to do so in more than a decade. At the time, the agency was forced to leave more than 100 positions vacant to make ends meet. Right now, the state is only allowed to raise its air permit fees once every five years and by no more than 10%. The Indiana Manufacturers Association said it would like to see similar guardrails in this latest bill. Until that changes, the group remains opposed to the bill. If fees don't increase, the EPA could take over the air permitting program, up enforcement at Indiana businesses that have air permits, or make the state implement a performance plan with EPA's oversight. The quality of air would improve if the feds took over management. The many years of Republican rule has brought Indiana to the point of very poor air quality. Why does Indiana have such poor air quality? When it comes to the environment, Indiana has a polluted reputation. Look no further than Hoosier's dependence on the automobile and the lack of investment in public transit, or at the coal-fired power plants in southwest Indiana, whose pollution is carried by easterly winds across the rest of the state and beyond. Plus, look to the steel and refinery businesses in Indiana. Indiana accepts industries that are not permitted in many other states. Indiana lawmakers heard testimony in support of a bipartisan bill to establish a statewide climate solutions task force, but the legislation stalled after the chairman of the Senate's Environmental Affairs Committee declined to call it for a vote. This marks the second time that the student group Confront the Climate Crisis has pushed legislators to establish the task force to review issues related to sustainable and clean energy solutions. A similar bill in 2022 did not even receive a hearing. The legislation would have created a nine-member panel of senators, representatives, and academic and utility experts. They would study topics such as conservation efforts, carbon credits, and mass transit systems, then recommend a statewide climate action plan. The bill's authors included Democrat Shelley Yoder of Bloomington and Republicans John Ford of Terre Haute and Ron Alding of Lafayette. The students said scientists at Purdue University have found that in Indiana, climate change is decreasing our crop yields, which harms our agricultural industry, increasing flooding, which endangers our infrastructure and public safety, and dramatically increasing extreme heat, which endangers our public health and worsens the reliability of our electric grid. No one spoke in opposition of the bill. Committee Chair, Sen, uh, Committee Chair Senator Rick Niemeyer was unavailable for an interview, but during the meeting said that while the bill would get testimony, there would be no vote. He added that this was the last environmental meeting for the first half of the session. We are left with questions. What does it take to move the legislature? Will Indiana be the last state to burn coal for power generation? Fox 59 reports some of the contaminated material from East Palestine truck wreck, tra train wreck is making its way to Indiana. The Environmental Protection Agency announced that two new hazardous waste sites will receive some of the shipments, an incinerator in Grafton, Ohio, and a landfill in Rochdale, Indiana. Rochdale is 40 miles west of Indiana, Indianapolis, in Putnam County, with a population under 1,000. 
In 2021, the median household income of Rochdale households was $58,114. 22% of the families live in poverty. Thus, the choice of Rochdale follows the tradition of disposing of hazardous waste in poor communities. The EPA now is getting close to having enough certified facilities to take all of the waste from the site of the ferry February 3rd derailment in East Palestine, said Deborah Shore, a regional administration administrator with the agency. Officials on Saturday had ordered Norfolk Southern to pause shipments to allow additional oversight measures. Some liquid and solid waste had already been taken to sites in Michigan and Texas. About 1.8 million gallons of liquid waste have been collected from the derailment site, according to the Ohio EPA. Some of the remaining liquid waste is going to a facility in Vickery, Ohio, for disposal in an underground injection well. Norfolk Southern is also shipping solid waste to an incinerator in East Liverpool, Ohio. While parts of the West and Northern U.S. have faced winter storms with blizzard conditions and significant snowfall, much of the rest of the country is experiencing a summer-like heat that has never been felt before during the month of February. More than 130 cities from the Gulf of Mexico to the Great Lakes could set new records for daily and monthly high temperatures this week. Highs will climb up to 80 degrees as far north as Ohio and West Virginia. Certainly unusual, but becoming less so in warming climate. Before this decade, Charleston, West Virginia had only hit 80 degrees before March three times in more than 100 years of record-keeping. But this week's incredible warmth will mean that four of the last six years will have logged temperatures of 80 degrees. A satellite image taken on February 13th shows just around 7% of the Great Lakes are covered in ice, significantly lower than average for this time of year. On the Great Lakes, ice coverage reached a record low for this time of year, the same time that the annual maximum extent of ice usually occurs. As of last week, only 7% of the five freshwater lakes were covered in ice, a sharp difference from the 35 to 40% ice cover typically expected in mid to late February, according to the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration. How much has Indiana warmed over the past several years? One measure of change is to refer to plant hardiness zones over time. The zones have been moving north at a rate of 13 miles per decade since 1990. Thus, Bloomington now has a climate like that of northern Kentucky in 1990. The global temperatures are increasing faster than ever, and there is every reason to predict that Monroe County will be in a 7A hardiness zone by 2050. An event in Indiana provides another measure of change. This is the annual Marsh Madness at Goose Pond. The Goose Pond development is one of the few things the state government has done benefiting the environment this century. Goose Pond was mired in politics as mucky as the clay soil covering it. However, in 1999, a pair of passionate conservationists persuaded the Goose Pond property owner to enroll his land in the newly created Wetlands Reserve Program within the USDA's Natural Resources Conservation Service. This enrollment placed the Goose Pond property in a permanent easement, meaning it could never again be farmed. The Indiana Department of Natural Resources became involved and the wetland restoration began. The dedication of the Goose Pond Fish and Wildlife Area occurred in September of 2010. 
In just these few years, the Marsh Madness event weather has changed from snow to temperatures in the 40s or 50s. The event was moved to a week earlier, but even with that change, the bulk of the birds have moved north. By 2050, sandhill cranes may spend the winter at Goose Pond and be gone by February. The New York Times reports Living Carbon, a biotechnology company, hopes its seedlings can help manage climate change, but wider use of the trees may be elusive. Recently, in a low-lying tract of southern Georgia's Pine Belt, a half-dozen workers planted row upon row of twig-like poplar trees. These weren't just any trees, though. Some of the seedlings being nestled into the soggy earth had been genetically engineered to grow wood at turbocharged rates while slurping up carbon dioxide from the air. The poplars may be the first genetically modified trees planted in the United States outside of a research trial or a commercial fruit orchard. Just as the introduction of the Flavor Saver tomato in 1994 introduced a new industry of genetically modified food crops, the tree planters on Monday hoped to transform forestry. Living Carbon, a San Francisco-based biotechnology company that produced the poplars, intends for its trees to be a large-scale solution to climate change. Quote, we've had the people tell us it's impossible, end quote. Maddie Hall, the company's co-founder and chief executive, said of her dream to deploy genetic engineering on behalf of the climate. But she and her colleagues have also found believers enough to invest $36 million in the four-year-old company. The company has also attracted critics. The Global Justice Ecology Project, an environmental group, has called the company's trees growing threats to forest and expressed alarm that the federal government allowed them to evade regulation, opening the door to commercial plantings much sooner than is typical for engineered plants. Living Carbon has yet to publish peer-reviewed papers. Its only publicly reported results come from a greenhouse trial that lasted just a few months. These data have some experts intrigued, but stopping well short of a full endorsement. They have some encouraging results, said Donald Ward, a University of Illinois geneticist whose plant experiments helped inspire living carbon's technology. But he added that the notion that greenhouse results will translate to success in the real world is, quote, not a slam dunk, unquote. And now, Enrique Sands with the Indiana Environmental Reporter will report on the Indiana legal effort to reduce the types of waterways that fall under federal protection. The state of Indiana is now part of a legal effort to reduce the types of waterways that fall under federal protection instead of potentially more lenient state regulations. Indiana Attorney General Todd Rokita has signed up Indiana to be part of a lawsuit brought by the Republican Attorneys General of 24 states seeking to repeal the Biden administration's definition of waters of the United States, a rule that defines the limit of the federal government's reach into pollution regulation. The Clean Water Act regulates the discharge of pollutants into what the law specifies as, quote, waters of the United States. That ambiguous phrase has led to decades of legal wrangling, including various U.S. Supreme Court cases, leading the last three presidential administrations to alter the WOTUS definition. The Obama administration expanded the WOTUS definition to include more waterways, drawing the ire of farmers, land developers, and other industries. 
the Trump administration reduced the number of waterways under federal protection. Both fell to legal challenges. The Biden administration's WOTUS definition is set to become effective March 20th. It largely returns the U.S. to a definition put in place during the Reagan administration and observed until 2015. The Republicans filing suit against the Biden administration argue that the administration has exceeded the jurisdiction given to it by the Clean Water Act. They claim the new WOTUS actually expands federal jurisdiction by having no clear time duration for what are called relatively permanent waterways. They say it also changed the definition of what constitutes tributaries and wetlands and allows the federal government to claim jurisdiction on any intrastate waterways determined to affect jurisdictional waters. Rokita called the Biden WOTUS definition an edict designed to subjugate free people. This is what he told right-wing media. In order for there to be a thriving business that hires people, you have to make a profit. And every time one of these, these liberals, these socialists come by and try to strangle a private industry, a private business, it's really a tax. And that means you're hiring less, you're doing less, you can move less. So. That's basically what this is here and what's going on if you make people's private property less valuable by putting all these government regulations on it because, geez, it rained hard last week and there's a standing pond on this farmland or on this business's land or, or whatever. You're, you're divesting people of the wealth and the opportunity they have in the private ownership of land. The attorneys general involved in the lawsuit said if the Biden WOTUS rule stays in place as it is, ranchers, farmers, miners, home builders, and other landowners across the country would struggle to undertake even the simplest of activities on their own property without fear of drawing the ire of the federal government. Trade groups for farmers and other polluting industries affected by the new definition have filed their own lawsuit challenging the new rule, saying the stricter rules create uncertainty a rationale they have used to oppose other environmental regulations. Nearly 25,000 miles of state waterways have recreational use impairments due to excess bacteria and nutrients derived from farming practices. They are potentially not safe to swim in due to those impairments. The pollution is from animal feces and fertilizers from concentrated animal feeding operations and other farming sources that are mostly unregulated and are allowed to enter waterways due to a loophole in the Clean Water Act that exempts agricultural runoff from regulation. The Trump WOTUS rule, called the Navigable Waters Protection Rule, narrowed federal protections to just four categories of waterways, leaving out temporary streams, some wetlands, and other waterways that would require farmers to get permits to develop. In the last days of the Trump administration, Indiana state senators directly involved in the home building industry used the narrowed Trump WOTUS definition to introduce a bill removing protections for half of the state's remaining wetlands and weakening protections that remained. The Indiana Farm Bureau and other farming groups backed the bill citing an end to regulatory uncertainty, despite agriculture being statutorily exempt from most regulations. The bill was signed into law in 2021. A task force established as a result of the law found that the loss of wetlands provided short-term economic benefits to farmers at the cost of long-term flooding issues. Farmers and other groups are now backing a return to a Trump-style WOTUS definition. In a press release, American Farm Bureau Federation President Zippy Duvall said, the new WOTUS rule gives the federal government sweeping authority over private lands and that farmers and ranchers should not have to hire a team of lawyers and consultants to determine how they can farm their own land. 
The state's lawsuit was filed in federal court in North Dakota. Whatever the decision on the case, any appeals would be handled by the 11-judge U.S. Court of Appeals for the Eighth Circuit, where 10 of the court's 11 judges were appointed by Republicans. For Eco Report, I'm Juliana Daly. And I'm Cynthia Roberts. Here at Eco Report, we are currently looking for reporters, engineers, and segment producers. Our goal is to report facts on how we're all affected by global climate disruption and the ongoing assaults on our air, land, and water. We also celebrate ecologists, tree huggers, soil builders, and an assortment of champions who actively protect and restore our natural world, particularly those who are active in south-central Indiana. All levels of experience and all ages are welcome, and we provide the training you'll need. WFHB also offers internships. To volunteer for Eco Report, give us a call at 812-323-1200 or email us at earth at wfhb.org. And now for some upcoming events. Goose Pond Reads Leopold will take place on Saturday, March 4th, from 9 to 11 a.m. at the Goose Pond Fish and Wildlife Area. Meet in the Visitor's Center for a free reading of A Sand Country Almanac by Aldo Leopold by the Linton Public Library staff. Coffee and tea will be served while you listen and enjoy the panoramic view of Goose Pond. Enjoy a bluebird nesting box workshop at Spring Mill State Park on Saturday, March 4th from 10 a.m. to noon. While building your box, you will learn all about our native eastern bluebirds. Advanced registration is required. Contact Sherry Belt at sbelt at dnr.in.gov. Take a full moon hike at Brown County State Park on Saturday, March 4th from 7 to 8.30 p.m. The park naturalist will guide you on a night hike around Ogle Lake while you learn all the history and folklore of the full warm moon. Trail 7 is moderate but may be rugged at night. Bring red flashlights for night vision. Nature is the ultimate zero-waste guide, and you will get to learn as much as possible at the Recycle That information session on Sunday, March 5th, from 2 to 3.30 p.m. at the Winslow Woods Park. You will explore how nature recycles its resources and how we can better recycle our own waste. Register at bloomington.in.gov parks. Take a morning lake hike at Spring Mill State Park on Saturday, March 11th from 9 to 10 a.m. Meet Anthony at the Lakeview Activity Center for a hike around the lake on Trail 5, which is partially rugged. On the hike, you will learn the history of the lake and park. Eco Report is brought to you in part by MPI Solar, a Bloomington business specializing in solar hot water, solar electricity, and solar hot air systems. MPI Solar designs and installs solar power generation systems that encourage independence and individual responsibility. Found locally at 812-334 and on the web at mpisolarenergy.com. This week's headlines were written by Norm Holy. Our feature report was prepared and presented by Enrique Sainz with the Indiana Environmental Reporter. Our script today was assembled by Juliana Daly and edited by Cade Young and Noel Herhusky Schneider. Juliana Daly compiled our events calendar. Cade Young produced today's show and edited the audio.
For WFHB, I'm Juliana Daly. And I'm Cynthia Roberts. And this is Eco Report. You've been listening to the Eco Report, a volunteer powered production of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana. Available for download and podcast at news.wfhb.org. Eco Report is your independent, ecologically inspired news source for South Central Indiana, bringing you news that the earth wants you to hear. Send your comments, suggestions, and story ideas directly to the Eco Report staff. The email address is earth at wfhb.org. That's earth at wfhb.org.